Uh, welcome back uh, to our service here at Glencairn Baptist Church. This morning, we're going to continue our mini-series on the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 6. Uh, and so far, where we're at, just to get everybody on the same uh, page, so far we've taken up what or who this genealogy is all about. And why the author of Exodus placed it here. I know for some of us, we, we, we just skim through these things. Right? Ah, genealogy, who cares? This begat person, begat this person, begat this person. But really, there's lessons to be learned. And there's, we've learned, hopefully, we've learned through the past few sermons, the lessons that we can learn from this Exodus. Despite the, uh, I mean, aside from, you know, the context where it's, or where it's in, but hopefully, hopefully we've learned something from the people, the names that we see uh, in the genealogies. So if you've missed any of these messages, again, you go to YouTube, go to Facebook. Uh, it's all there. You can take time to watch it again. Or if you haven't seen it, to watch it the first time. Uh, so this morning we're going to continue on. Okay? Um, we will be taking up uh, a couple of errands or a few of errands. Uh, relatives, okay, part of his family members, okay, the past two weeks we've taken up Aaron's relatives who are considered saints, you know, good people in the family, right, uh, today we're going to take up the, the sinners, uh, or the black sheep of the family, anybody here black sheep of their families, well, it's okay, it's okay to be black sheep, right, we need black sheeps, otherwise we won't learn. What's up, bro? I see jigs. I didn't see <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so we're going to take, take up the black sheep of Aaron's uh, family. And all of us have. I just like what I said from the start of this whole thing. We all have these people. Okay? Uh, we all have black sheep in our family. It's probably us who's the black sheep in the family. But there's still something to learn uh, from them. So let's begin with this first... Uh, uh, person, his name is Korah, okay. K-O-R-A-H, he's one of Aaron's cousins, okay, let's read his story first, in Numbers 16, 1 to 11, it's showing up there, can you guys read it, because I can't, I don't have the thing here, you guys read Numbers 16, 1 to 11, go ahead, read it. Thank you. 
Story of Korah. Uh, so, what did Korah do? Led a rebellion against Moses and and Aaron, right? Um, so, quick background. Okay, before we get into that, quick background. Um, so, before this rebellion took place, that Korah pretty much started, uh, the people of Israel grumbled and rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Why? Uh, because they failed to enter the promised land uh, because of some bad news that was brought to them by the spies. Remember the spies that they sent? To, who, were, who were the main spies? Caleb and Joshua. Joshua, right? Caleb and Joseph. <laughs> by the way, she's our youth. <laughs> Caleb and, and Joshua, all right? <laughs> they came with some bad news. The promised land is there. It's for us. It's for ours to take. But we have to fight these giants, right? So the bad news came to the people, and the people were so afraid that they were um, they feared to go into the promised land. Right? They believed the other ten instead of just believing the two, um, and they they didn't want to go in. Uh, you can check it out again. Numbers. Uh, 13:31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, "We're not able to go up against the people, for they are what stronger than we are." So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, "This land, though we have gone to spy it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw it, in it." Are of great height. Wow. Right? And there we saw the Nephilim, sons of Anak, who come uh, from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Right? So small. You can't fight against these people. So they, don't, they didn't want to go in. So what happened? God got angry. Why? I'm with you. Why don't you trust me to go in and defeat these people for you? Like I've been doing in the past. Why can't you just trust me? So God in his anger was going to destroy everybody. But Moses interceded. Right? Moses prayed for the people, interceded for the people. But the anger of the Lord still burned. So what did he do? He promised, the Lord promised judgment on those who oppose and despise him. What did he say? Your generation is going to get wiped out. Meanwhile, your sons, who you're protecting from these, you know, big giants, they're the ones who's going to go in and enter the, the promised land. Right? So there was already that rebellion before Korah's rebellion. 
So another chapter later, Korah's rebellion takes place. So after all that, after he saw what happened, the rebellion that happened before they entered the promised land, Korah decides to rebel. It's not because of they're hungry. It's not because of fear. Right? The, the reason for this rebellion was different. Uh, again, the rebellion in chapter 14 was because of fear. Fear of the enemy. Fear of the giants. This time, the rebellion was against the leaders. Moses and, and Aaron. Korah and his partners accused Moses of exalting himself above everybody else. Korah was challenging the leadership of Moses. And in doing so, what did Moses say? You're, you're not challenging me, per se, as a leader. You're challenging God himself, who put me here as a leader. Right? But what is it? What is it that Korah really wanted? Why did he start the rebellion to begin with? Um, he was from the descendants of Levi, but he wanted more. That's his problem. He wasn't content with what God assigned him or separated him for um, as a descendant of Levi. Um, Riken uh, comments, and I quote, Korah was not content with his God-given place of ministry. He was ambitious. He wanted more recognition, and he thought that Moses was standing in his way. Check it out. Uh, number 16, uh, 8 to 11. You guys, read it again. Number 16, 8 to 11. All right. And Moses said to Korah, Korah's grumbling was because he wanted to be or to replace Aaron. I'll be the leader, not you. Um, it's a leader, it's a rebellion against the authority um, of Moses, but really it's a rebellion against the authority of God to choose among his people who to lead. Um, and the consequences of the rebellion was brutal. The Bible said that uh, what happened to Korah and his 250 followers was the ground opened up like a big earthquake. Um, and it swallowed Korah and those who were with him, 250 of them. Um, they were swallowed up by the ground alive. They didn't even die first. They were swallowed up alive. And not only that, the next day, some Israelites or most of the Israelites came to Moses and Aaron grumbling again. This time about what? Why did you kill godly men? <laughs> they were complaining that Korah and his people and his followers were killed. Uh, and what happened to them? God sent a plague for them. Right? But before the plague could consume all of them, uh, Aaron this time 
stood in between the dead and the living. It says in number 1648. And it's interceded so that the plague was stopped. But still, all in all, 14,700 people died. They died from that plague along with the 250 that rebelled against God, including Korah. That's the story. So now, what can we learn? Okay, we learn from this. Okay. Two things. First, it's very dangerous to seek a higher position in the church than God has given you. It is very dangerous to seek a higher position in the church than the one that God has given you. Second, as dangerous as it is to seek a higher position, it is even more dangerous to resent the spiritual leaders whom God has placed in authority over us. Two things, right? First, again, it is very dangerous to seek a higher position in the church than the one that God has given us. So when you think about that, it seems contrary to the teaching of Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians, right? Regarding spiritual gifts, you know what, what I'm talking about? In first, when in Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, what did Paul say? Check it out. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Next. Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No, right? But earnestly what? Desire higher gifts. Then I will show you a more excellent when. And it talks about the wedding verses, which is not really for weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is God. They all use that. Wedding people always use that, right? It's not for weddings. It's so you, for you to serve with love. Um, but that's the context, right? Paul says desire higher gifts. So when our text says uh, it's dangerous to desire positions, how does that relate to gifts? Um, so within the context of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is saying that there is a diversity of gifts. There's a diversity of activities, diversity of ministries. But only one God who does the work through the gifts, ministries, and activities. Right? One God who does that work. So the way I see it, everyone here has a different Gift to be used in different ministries or activities. Right? But in the end of chapter 12, Paul says what? It's good to desire the higher ones. It's good to desire the higher gifts. And I think he lists this as the teachers and apostles. and Those are the higher gifts. Right? So it's good to desire those, uh, which I also believe will be used for different ministries or activities. Um, which means... Different positions in the church, right? So if you're a pastor, like for me, I'm in a different position than, say, a deacon or an elder or somebody who sings in the choir, right? So it's good to desire those gifts, meaning that those gifts will be used in different ministries, meaning that those ministries will be different positions in the, in the church. So if that's the case, why then is it dangerous to desire higher positions in the church if Paul says, 
go ahead, desire higher gifts. But that would mean higher positions and higher ministries. Right? Why is it dangerous to desire higher positions in the church? Uh, I think that as far as Paul is concerned, desiring higher gifts is for one purpose. Or make it two. Edifying, edifying the church for the glory of God. We all agree on that? that? That's what these gifts are ultimately for. Right? Um, to desire the higher gifts is also to have a desire to do more ministry work or more ministry activities as a display of God's work in the church. This means that having a desire for higher gifts must come with a desire to serve others even more. Are we in agreement with that? Right? If you desire higher gifts, it means that you have the desire to serve more. I'm, I'm given this gift, I can do more with this and just sit here and listen to sermons. So do you desire it? And God will one day open up doors for you to be able to use it. Right? If that's your purpose, Paul is right. It is good to desire higher gifts. If your purpose is to use it, okay, for ministry to glorify, or to edify the body, glorify God. And that has to be the purpose. Right? If desiring a higher position in the church is for more personal gain, then Riken is right. right. It is dangerous to desire higher positions, therefore desiring higher gifts when it comes to the church. Check out Titus uh, 1, 6-9. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But what? Hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must, what? Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, but the key word there is what? Greedy for gain. You can't be an elder in the church if you're greedy for gain. The reason why it is dangerous to desire the higher positions in the church uh, because of selfishness, pride, and personal gain is because at that point, you're no longer rebelling against church leaders. You are rebelling against God himself. That's what's happening with Korah. He's desiring these higher gifts. Meanwhile, God didn't call you for that. And Moses said, aren't you happy that you've been set apart as one of the sons of Levi? I'm content with that. You want the higher ones? You want my position? You want Aaron's position? That you rebel? And not only did he rebel, if he rebelled by himself, yeah, fine. But what did he do? He grabbed other leaders. <laughs> in, the in the church back then, well, it's not a church, but he grabbed other leaders in the tribe and influenced them to go against Moses and Aaron. 
And it's dangerous to do that. And we saw it there. Because again, being a leader in the church, especially the higher gifts, or even this, any gifts, your purpose is to serve the congregation, to edify them so that they may glorify God. But if you're desiring higher position just to serve yourself, for self-gain, very dangerous. Check out Acts 5, 33-39. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. You know this part of the story? Peter and John got jailed again <laughs> for preaching God's word. Okay. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Okay, before we decide to kill these two, just take them outside and we talk to you first. What did he say? And he said to them, what? Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, the Judas throws up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too, what? Perished. And all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, what did he say? It's for sure going to fail. But look, but if it is God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found, what? Opposing God. So they took his advice. Same situation. Peter and John preaching the gospel everywhere. They've been arrested once, twice. This is probably, I think, the third time they got arrested. They were about to kill him. These guys are annoying. They just keep coming back. They're like a bad rash. They just won't go away. They just kill him. O'Malley is like, <laughs> If this is from man, it's going to fail. So don't even worry about that. But if it's from God, be careful. Be careful what you're going to do. Be careful how you go against the chosen ministers, leaders of God. Because what's going to happen to you? Just like the two that he mentioned, right? They both died, and those who followed him were dispersed. Korah, same thing. But they all died. <laughs> now, as one of the leaders of this church, I pretty much have a bullseye on my back. It's true. Right? That's one of the perks of being a pastor. One of the benefits. <laughs> it's true. I have a bullseye on my back. Everybody's watching you. They look at my Facebook feed, Instagram. Oh, pastor eating again out. Eating out again. What's going on? Pastor vacation again. Oh, my God. I get critiqued for that. I even, I, I even held a service one time. Because of the critiques that I keep getting. Right? Somebody critiqued me. Oh, you didn't attend my party. Your ministry is a fake. Because I didn't go to your party. Remember that? 
Somebody, somebody wrote that to me. Your ministry is a fake. It's false. Because you didn't go, go to my party. Think, really? But I get this all the time. Even on Facebook, I'm being slandered by people who are not even here anymore. <laughs> so you're laughing. You know who these people... No, but it's true. I just hear it from some of our men. Hey, did you read the comment? Did you read the post? Of the I'm like, no, I don't read posts anymore. I just get angry. <laughs> because there's always going to be that pushback, that opposition. Now, when I was new in ministry, whenever I hear something like that, I would I'd call them up. Hey, what did you say about it? I messaged on the Facebook. I get angry. I, I try to chase after everybody. And then I, I talk to um, Pastor Luis. Pastor Luis, what should I do with these people? Because he, he got a lot too. <laughs> His back is full of arrows. You, you know what I'm saying? Because all the bullseyes. I talk to Pastor Luis. Um, so I would always take offense and try to defend myself. Um, but Pastor Luis once told me there will always be opposition when it comes to God's work. Always. Right? Because we're not. This, this is not where we're supposed to be. Jesus, even Jesus said, right? You will be hated more than me for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because they're a follower of Christ. It's just the way it is. Everywhere you turn, there will be. Um, but Pastor Luis told me, um, don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy going after these people. Instead, use the time and energy for the ministry that God has called you to do. And what did God call me to do? Feed the flock. Right? I mean, I apologize for the people that I didn't attend your parties. <laughs> right? I apologize, but my job is not to go attend parties. <laughs> it's here. Just like what I said before, let me attend your party and then I'll open up daily bread when I get up here. I'm not going to study. Okay, turn to daily bread for today. Let's just read it and then you're dismissed. How is that doing my ministry? And who's going to get in trouble? <laughs> who's going to be found accountable when God comes back? Can I say, oh, they invited me to a party. What am I supposed to do? Say no. But yeah, I... I say no a lot and don't take offense to it because this is what I'm called to do. But the point is, even in that aspect of ministry, there will be opposition. Even the social aspect, there will always be. There will always be opposition. There will always be criticisms. But let me just go back to what Gamaliel said, and it's the opposite. If it is the work of God, I don't care what you do, <laughs> you're not going to be able to Stop it. And you might be found going up against God himself. Who here can think they can win against God? Nobody. Right? If it's the work of man, then you have to just leave it alone. It'll fail by itself. <laughs> right? But if it's the work of God and you go against the leaders, and we talked about this last week too, remember? What is the number one sin that we have to kill that I said last week. What is it? Gossip and slander. Especially against people who are in the public eye. 
leaders. If you're going behind the back and talking to leaders, talking about leaders, no, no, no. Be warned. Right? It's not like our door's not open for you to come talk to us straight. It is, right? And I keep telling you that. My door is open, but it opens both ways, right? You come talk to me. If we can't get it resolved because of whatever, then it's open. You can go. If you're not being blessed here, you can go, right? But if you are, then, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Don't talk behind my back. Or don't talk behind any of the leaders' backs. Even if Sunday school teacher, choir leader, whatever. Right? Because at that point, you're not rebelling against the leader. You're rebelling against God himself. So be warned. Anyone who is opposing God's servants, you are not opposing me or any of the leaders in the church. You're opposing God himself. And he doesn't deal lightly with those who go against him. So as far as ministry is concerned, as far as service is concerned, uh, let, let humility dictate where you go. Because God will lead you towards that. Um, check, out, check this quote out from uh, Francis Schaeffer. He wrote, Jesus commands Christians to see consciously the lowest room. All of us, pastors, teachers, professional religious workers, and non-professionals included, are tempted to say, I will take the larger place because it will give me more influence for Christ. Both individual Christians and Christian organizations fall prey to the temptation of rationalizing this way as we build, and, as we build bigger and bigger empires. According to the scripture, this is backwards. We should consciously take the lowest place unless the Lord himself extrudes us into a greater one. What does extrude mean? That word extrude is important. To be extruded is to be forced out under pressure into a desired shape. Those of you working for molding, molding dyes, that's what happens. The bottle of Coke that you drink out of, it was extruded into the, the dye, into the mold. So it starts off like this piece of plastic, and then they put it there, and then some big pressure just poof, and it extrudes it into the mold. That's why it becomes a, a bottle, right? That's how God shapes his people. That's how God calls people to, to ministry. To be extruded is to be forced out under pressure into a desired shape. Picture a huge press jamming soft metal into a high pressure through a die so that the metal comes out in a certain shape. This is the way of the Christian. He should choose the lesser place until God extrudes him into a position of more responsibility and authority. That's what happened to me. I didn't want to be a pastor. <laughs> I told you that before. No. But under pressure, God like put a die and extrude it to a point where like, oh, okay, this is my calling. But I didn't go, can I be the pastor? <laughs> now, there's some people like that that are called right away. That's not what happened to me. I just wanted to be in the background. I just wanted to lead the young people. And, and not even lead and teach, but just organize. But what happened? God said, no, no, no. I gave you more gifts than that. So let, let me use it. Use those gifts. That's what happened, right? And for Christians, for us, Jesus is saying, no, no. 
Don't desire to hire right away. Humble yourself first before God. And be, learn to be a servant first before you serve others. And the more you put yourself in that position, the more God will say, okay, and extrudes you to a bigger ministry. So that's what we can learn from Korah. So hopefully none of us here, uh, you know, the earth opens up and swallows that half of the church. Oh, no. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> or this half. No. That's, that's a lot of repairs that we have to do. <laughs> okay? And if you're doing it, just stop. Come talk to me. Come talk to any of the leaders. We're open. You can talk to us. Next. Am I still good? Yeah. Next. Let's take a look at the life of Aaron's eldest sons. Nadab and Abihu. Check them out. Exodus 6.23. What does it say? Aaron took as his wife, Sheba, daughter of Aminadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him, what, who? Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So the first two, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. So according to commentary, Nadab and Abihu were priests. They served in the tabernacle. Uh, one day, they decided to get creative with their worship of God. Check it out, Leviticus 10, 1. You guys read this one. Okay, what did they do? Offered what? Unauthorized fire. Unauthorized fire before the Lord. Now that key word there is that word, unauthorized. Right? In other translations, the words used here are strange fire. King James, in the King James Version, strange fire. Hebrew word for strange can be translated as unauthorized or foreign or profane. Unacceptable. That's why God rejected it. First question that should pop up is what made that worship or that offering of worship unauthorized? There's no scripture text that explicitly says why that fire was unauthorized. But it could be uh, because the fire that Nadab and Abihu offered God did not come from the altar as God had commanded. Remember in Leviticus Sunday school teachers. Leviticus is where God teaches us what? We, we were here in Sunday school, right? Remember Sunday school teachers? What was Leviticus? How to worship him and how to live, right? There's the rules, right, in, in Leviticus. One of the rules is this. Check it out. Leviticus 16, 12. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from where? The altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. Where is the fire supposed to come from? The altar before God. So some are saying that the reason why Nadab and Abihu's offering of fire or incense was rejected by God is because they started the fire themselves. They didn't take it from the altar. They got a match or a lighter or whatever, 
They lit it up and just say, here, God, fire, fire is fire. And they offered it to God. God said, no. And what did he do to them? He burned them. <laughs> Consumed them with fire. right? Because their fire, their offer or act of worship was authorized. They were disobedient to God's commands to take the fire from the altar. Um, Godquestions.org offers a different, not an explanation, but uh, they said this, Nadab and Abihu could have been drunk when they came inside the tabernacle to offer their worship. Check out Leviticus 10, 8, and 9. You guys read it again. Some are saying, eh, they're probably drunk. They just came in there, oh, oh, we forgot the fire. Instead of going back to the altar, oh, give me lighter. And offered it to, to God. Now, these may or may not be the reason why God found their worship offensive. But the point is that they approached the God of the universe without fear and reverence. And I would say without respect so what can we learn two things worship of God is a serious thing and second your ministry cannot save you you're priests but they are still killed ministry cannot save you your worship of God is a serious thing let's take it one at a time first there is a proper way to worship, or to approach the God of the universe. And that way is his way or no way. Romans 12, what does it say? Brothers, I urge you what? Offer up your bodies as your sacrifice. Act of worship. Offer up your whole body. So you know how it says in God questions that Nadab and Abihu came in drunk. That's why the worship was rejected. Some of us come in drunk every Sunday. Not from wine, from sleepiness. So drunk, they can't even hold their heads up. <laughs> Tell me I'm lying. Especially those who are sleeping right now. <laughs> seriously. Because we don't take it Seriously. Right? Oh, it starts at 10.30, so I'm going to stay up till, you know, 4 or 5 in the morning. I have just enough sleep for me. I come here and, yeah, I just worship. I, 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 I feel bad for you up here because you, you're struggling. Some people are just struggling to keep their... Right? Does God deserve that? No, well, we, we do it. We offer up some strange fire. Right? doesn't deserve that. There's a proper way to worship God. God says, what? In everything you do, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. And just like what we talked about last week, aren't you jealous for God's honor? If somebody was talking to you and you fall asleep, and you, some, you're talking to somebody and that person fell asleep while you were talking to him. Like, yo, 
we were just discussing. I did this once. So I think Brother Jesse. I was so tired. <laughs> Jesse was talking to me. I'm like, okay, okay. Then I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> and he knows. He's right there. Right? How would you feel? <laughs> Especially if you're discussing something serious. And the guy's like, the. Like, how would you feel? And then you're going to say, I'll offer this to the God of the universe. Now, some people go overboard. Oh, you got to dress up and you got to wear a tie, suit. No, that's not, the, that's not the issue. The issue is your heart. Right? Because what, what does worship mean? What does it mean anyway? It means to give God worth. That's what it means, right? Worthship to give God worth or to show God how much He means to you. So obviously, if you come into His presence half-hearted, or because you just have to, or you know because somebody told you to, it shows just how little God means to you. Right? Now, when it comes to dressing up, come on! If you were to meet the the Prime Minister. Would you go in your jeans with holes and stuff? You didn't even take a bath. You go and just half asleep. No, none of us would do that. Why? Prime Minister. We're talking about God here. Right? Listen, God knows how great He is. He keeps telling us in His Word. He knows how great He is. He knows how deserving He is of true worship. That's why He's offended. He doesn't deserve the kind of worship that we bring. Sometimes, some of us. Right? Now look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. You know that story? What did they do? They offered their worship through giving. Right? Their tithes and their offerings. But what did they do? They lied about their tithes and offerings. They said, we will give everything from the sale of our land. They only gave some. Kept some to themselves. What happened to them? Right away. Imagine if that's still true today. Come in here all drunk with sleepiness and you just die right there in the foyer. And the deacons will come up. Oh, another one. <laughs> they have a whole truck outside full of dead people. Just because they come in with, you know, with strange fire. That's, just, that's God. That's how holy God is. And sometimes we can't. That's why sometimes I envy the Muslims, right? The way they show reverence, they have, to, they have to shower before they pray. You know that? We we pray lying down. Before we sleep. And sometimes we fall asleep during the prayer. And then when you wake up, oh sorry, Lord. And then you say, I forgot what I was saying. Okay, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, go back. I, I know it sounds funny, but I, and the reason I know why you're laughing, you, you do it. <laughs> it's true, I do it sometimes, right? But God doesn't deserve that. God wants to worship the way He wants to be worshipped. You can't dictate the way you worship God. In singing, nobody... When you sing, do you feel this presence? Do you, or is it just another part of the service? Like, yeah, get it over with. Let's go to the next. 
God knows how great he is. And he deserves that kind of worship. Our tithes and our offerings, our form of worship, God does not want our leftovers. Whether it's money or time or effort. And he does not delight in obligated, begrudging giving. Malachi 6, or 1, 6 to 10. Sunday school teacher, you remember this? Malachi 1, 6 to 10. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests, <laughs> priests, the, the priests don't know how to worship. Priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? What did God say? By offering what? Polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted? How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. <laughs> Will he accept you or show you favor? Is the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, he will show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. And this is the part. Oh, that there were um, one among you who would just shut the doors. That you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. But we say, what do we say to that? Well, this is what I got. Take it. God said, no. And what you're doing here is in vain. If you're going to come here, you know, half asleep, half-hearted, begrudging, don't come at all. No, seriously. That, that's what it says. Right? Close the doors. Don't come at all. Same goes for your ministries. Okay. Any work done, any effort and time used in ministry is an offering of worship to God. Let's get that right. Anything. If you're a son of Levi, if you're a Phineas, whatever you offer to God in, worship, in ministry, effort-wise, money-wise, time-wise, as an offering of worship to God. Now, some, of those, some of those in ministry are leadership in, in leadership positions please don't give or offer your leftovers to god oh, i can't finish this anymore lord i'm so full here if you're an elder or a deacon lead as if you were leading your family like we learned last week from phineas have that burning hot jealousy for god's honor so that if there is anything hindering your worship of God, dishonoring God through your leadership ministry, what do you do? You kill it. Right? If it's laziness, kill it. If it is procrastination, oh, I'm guilty of this, kill it. 
What's procrastination? The last minute you come to church not, not prepared. If it's procrastination, kill it. If it is pride or selfishness, kill it. How do you kill it? You grab the spear of God's what? Promises. You kill him with that. Those of you who missed that message, go to YouTube. Watch it. Right? It's about the Phineas one. Right? If you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader, I should make these people stand. <laughs> you were here yesterday, right? And that's good. I, I, like, I like what we did yesterday. I'll get into that later. If you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader, don't study 10 minutes before your session. Talking about, I'll just listen to it in the car. And then teach our kids. And then teach our youth. God doesn't deserve that. If you sing on the choir or the worship team, don't just learn the songs the day of practice. Don't even read the lyrics. Read it. Take the time to really know what it says because you're preaching through your music, remember? Meditate on the meaning of the songs. So it would be a fragrant offering before God. If you're in charge of the facilities and the care of our physical environment, if you're a son of Levi, don't just blow the dust off and say, ah, it's okay. It's clean. <laughs> it's true. You wouldn't like that if it was done to your house. What if that's how doing your kids clean your house? You would just say, good job, son, daughter. No. Don't do that. Don't just blow the dust off. It's, it's that thing. Eh? There's a Filipino saying for that. Yeah? Oh, and then? You know what a Filipino saying? <laughs> I stand. <laughs> for those of you who are, don't understand that, it means that that's ah, good enough. Good enough for you. <laughs> We're not good enough for, not good enough for God. Half-hearted, begrudging worship is a slap to God's holy face. God never went halfway with his people. He never. Right? He even went to the extreme. How? By sending his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we may be saved. And the Bible says you don't even have to go that far. Show me the respect. Show me the fear that I deserve, God says. So let's not, like be a, let's not be like Nadab and Abihu who approach God so casually in worship. God doesn't deserve that. God gave us his best so that we can give ours in whatever form of worship we offer to God. Right? Riken says this again, I quote, Worshiping God is serious business. The holy God demands to be worshipped in a holy way and we must approach him in reverence and in awe. That's the first thing we can learn from Nadab and Abihu. Second, quickly. Second thing we can learn from Adam and Abihu, your ministry cannot save you. <laughs> ministry should be the result or the fruit of a changed heart towards God. The goal of ministry is not to make an unbeliever believe. If you're an unbeliever and you're like, okay, let me go to church or let me serve in the choir or let me so that I could be saved. No. Coming to church will not save you. Having joy in God, that's why you come to church. Yes, 
Because at that point, you already believe. But doing ministry or coming to church, giving your offerings, you think the, the bigger the offering, the, you know, the more closer you get to God? No. Right? Ministry should be a result or the fruit of a changed heart towards God. And the goal of ministry is not to make an unbeliever believe, but for the believer to grow in faith and love for God in serving his people. That's ministry goals. Ministry can grow you. That's why those of us who are just sitting here and um, I'm content, it's fine. No, seek after. Come, go after ministries. Seek to work. And again, you're not going to do that unless you have saving faith to know that God is worth it. Right? Because there's effort, right? There's effort when it comes to ministry. Whatever it is, it could be giving, it could be singing, it could be preaching, it could be teaching, whatever it is. There's going to be a cost to you. Now, if you're willing to pay that cost because you believe that God is worth it, then yeah, go. But if you think it's going to save you, it's wrong. Adab and Abihu were priests in the temple. Didn't save them. Right? Same goes for those of us whose motivation for ministry is wrong. If your motivation or purpose for serving in a ministry is for recognition or praise, Jesus says you already got your reward. That's, that's yours. If your motivation for ministry is to power trip, you know what that means? I lord it over people. No, I'm a deacon. Do what I say. I'm an elder. I'm always right. No. <laughs> if that's your... Uh, Motivation for ministry, God will humble you. But if you want to continue to humbly grow in your faith, then God is calling you to a ministry that will help you utilize your God-given gifts to serve others and also to grow your faith. Amen? Well, that ends our mini-series on the family of Aaron. We saw the saints. We saw the sinners. We saw why this... Had to be here. This genealogy had to be here. Uh, next week we move on. I hope to see you again here. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. Just